Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, utilizing a digital technology platform to engage your workforce and build a proactive safety culture, sponsored by ProcessMap. This is Alan Ferguson, an associate editor of Safety and Health Magazine. I am moderating today's presentation. First, we'd like to thank you all for joining us, and on behalf of the National Safety Council, whose employees are currently working away from the office, we hope that you, your loved ones, and all the people in your lives are remaining safe and healthy wherever they are. Now, we'll start the presentation in a couple minutes, but first, there are some housekeeping items. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speaker and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, our publication does not mean the Council of the Magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a question and answer session with our speakers. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box and on the left-hand side of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Please feel free to ask your question anytime during this presentation. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but we might not get to every question. The good news is that any unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's sponsor. If you have any technical issues during this webcast, please refer to our list of helpful tips on the right-hand portion of your screen. And for basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located at the bottom. And after this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I'll tell you more about that a little later. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. And finally, our sponsor, ProcessMap, has generously provided links to additional information, which you can find under the resources widget on your screen. With that, let's introduce our speakers. With us today are Jessica Janneman, Executive Director of EHS Quality and Manufacturing Planning for Global Automotive Systems, based in Auburn Hills, Michigan. She previously served as a Global Director for Environmental Health, Safety, and Energy at Dura Automotive Systems and also worked at Fiat Chrysler Automobiles and ABB in North America. Also joining us is Phil Welch, Senior Director of EHS Global Excellence at Process Map. In his current role, he coaches Fortune 1000 companies on how to drive continuous improvement in safety, health, and environmental programs. Bill previously worked for 20 years at Target North America and was the company's corporate director of EHS and operational excellence. Again, we'd like to thank you all for joining us for today's presentation. Jessica, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thank you very much. Well, uh, very excited to be speaking today and uh, want to say thank you to National Safety Council and uh, Process Map team. It's been a pleasure collaborating with everybody. Um, as already mentioned, I won't get too much into the details, uh, but just to tell you a little bit about myself, I have over 10 years experience working in manufacturing, primarily automotive, um, have all sorts of experience from a plant to a corporate level, uh, looking at plant perspective, but also at strategy, um, also currently pursuing a doctorate at Oakland University, so that's kind of my next personal goal in life, which uh, will be exciting. Uh, but just so excited to, to be a part of this today, and uh, I'll go ahead and let Phil introduce himself. Thanks very much, Jessica. Yeah, so um, as Alan mentioned, um, uh, I'm Phil Welch, so over 20 years in the industry. I actually started off on uh, at the shop floor level uh, as an associate and, uh, and then sort of worked my way through each, uh, each level of the, um, of the industry to uh, become the, the corporate uh, EHS leader and uh, also the world-class manufacturing leader for safety and environmental. So um, um, that, was, um, that was my sort of little bit about myself. Uh, in terms of um, how I moved to process maps, so um, I, I really like the, uh, the, the business itself in terms of uh, how they're leading EH EHS and Q processes and data intelligence, and the platform empowers the customers to minimize risk. And uh, they certainly did for, for the company I used to work for as well. Um, we're headquartered in Fort Lauderdale, of course, and uh, Florida, and we serve more than 3 million users and 27 or over 27 languages in over 140 countries. Um, and ProcessMap has multiple innovation centers in India and Canada with over 200 experts 
in EHS sustainability and technology supporting global customers. Uh, in terms of you know, what type of customers we provide, um, obviously uh, Jessica is one of those, um, but here are some of the um, companies in crossing over many industries and verticals ranging from automotive, education to food and beverage. So, um, you know, prior to joining ProcessMap, I, as I mentioned before, I was a customer of the platform and I was really impressed and how much efficiencies it actually brought to the table um, with the various modules like incident management and risk assessment. Um, it did see, save my team hours and hours and hours, uh, which then enabled them to spend more time on the shop floor engaging with the people and actually doing what they were hired to do and being hands-on in terms of their safety duties on a, on a daily basis. So I think we're going to go into a poll now. So um, if you wouldn't mind going onto your screens and clicking on the, the poll question. And the question here is, what are the greatest challenges you face when engaging employees in safety? And there's, uh, I think you can select multiple ones, but uh, uh, select what applies to you. And there's, there's be about, there's about 30 seconds or so on this, I believe. So we'll just give it a little bit longer. So what are the greatest challenges that you face when engaging employees in safety? We'll give it five more seconds. And then we'll go over to the results now. Great. So, um, well, as uh, as you can see, the um, the high runner top of the shop there is uh, is culture, which is um, you know good per, in, in terms of the primary reason for having this webinar. So hopefully we should be able to help you out with that one. So culture and leadership being the top the top two front runners. So um, we really appreciate you taking time to uh, to participate in the poll. So I'm going to hand it over to Jessica now to do the second poll. Thanks, Phil. So now we're going to ask what tools and methods you may use uh, to engage employees. So again, select uh, all that apply if you can, and we'll give it about 30 seconds. And uh, just to talk, I think we've got a little bit of all these touched on for today's call, so it'll be good to, to see what the results and feedback are. Give it about eight more seconds. Okay, and if you could wrap up, we'll go ahead and see what our results are. Okay, so recognition programs, paper-driven processes, technology, and last none of the above. Okay, so it sounds like there's a little bit of a combination of everything, so that's great. Well, like I said, we'll touch on a little bit of each of those. Um, so with that, I will uh, allow Phil to uh, kick off for us talking about traditional safety methodology. So thanks. Go ahead, Phil. Thanks, Jessica. Okay, so let's let's touch a little bit about the the sort of traditional safety method methodology. So here's a little quote with all the thought of the day. So safety is without a doubt the most crucial investment we can make, and the the question is not what it costs. Um, um, it's, it's about what it saves. So I thought I'd share that quote with you. Uh, in terms of the traditional safety methodology concerning the principles of control, um, once we complete the hazard analysis, so I can risk assessment or whatever, we, we can then use the hierarchy of controls to avoid the hazards. And the traditional methods have always been aimed at, um, at hazard controls, uh, removing the hazard from the work process completely. So elimination or combating the hazards at their source and removing the hazard altogether. In terms of substitution, replacing the dangerous by the non-dangerous or the less dangerous or removing the people uh, from the hazardous work situation, these are regarded as the hazard controls. Um, in terms of exposure controls, the traditional methods have always been around engineering controls or adapting the work to the individual, 
design of the workplace or the choice and the type of work equipment. Uh, administrative as well, giving appropriate instruction to employees, for example, a one-point lesson or you know, some visual um, instructions like uh, an SOP or, uh, or something like that or some signage. Uh, when it comes to uh, exposure controls as, as well as being the, um, the sort of lowest uh, on the inverted triangle there, the PPE should always be the last resort if none of the others are possible. And uh, as I said, these are uh, grouped as exposure controls. So the hierarchy of control is actually how this should be approached when avoiding hazards, with elimination being the most effective through to PPE being the least effective with the most employee effort um, being PPE as well. So Jessica will take us from the traditional method to more of what's happening today. Jessica? Thanks, Phil. So as we apply traditional uh, safety methodology, and this is just showing uh, the hierarchy of controls, but more so looking at to a lot of what we're facing in terms of COVID and prevention and applying that hierarchy of control, um, and I work in automotive, global automotive is uh, primarily, you know, a North America company, but also have experience from this from a global perspective. And it's really about getting uh, plants and people to not only engage in this from a cultural aspect, but having it apply from a actual engineering and process elimination piece. So, um, you know, taking Phil's stance and looking at traditional safety or traditional safety methodology and applying this, we're having to get creative in a lot of different ways. And I, I commend a lot of the plants um, that I've, I've worked with in terms of their creativity and making sure that we're keeping people safe. Uh, if you look starting at the top, we still have that same concept where we want to limit the amount of exposure of people in plants. Um, we've gone to a lot of digital like today we're having video conference instead of maybe having in-person meetings those engineered controls uh, really looking at physical guards ventilation uh, design distancing I mean even when you go out to the grocery store you cannot uh, avoid having to see some of these in place right um, and then lastly relying upon those administrative controls uh, such as the social distancing uh, from a person-to-person -person aspect and applying PPE. Uh, so just to touch on a little bit, I think, you know, we're seeing this transition and transform uh, into different, uh, different ways throughout safety. And it's, apply it's, it's really uh, impacting us from both a culture and society impact as well as to what we're seeing in the workplace. Um, so, and I'm gonna have Phil actually take us through some of the ways that uh, Insight might provide from a process map standpoint, analytics and reports, and how uh, you know we've, we've actually seen this applied in other ways as well. So, Phil? Thanks, Jessica. Um, yeah, so we're, we're talking about utilizing digital technology, and through this pandemic, um, the uh, process map is offering you know various uh, solutions for uh, for EHS or health and safety and environmental, and including the sustainability. And this, uh, this has also been included in terms of the COVID-19 um, issues that we're all facing today. You know, a lot of our customers are, are facing many, many problems in terms of um, the, uh, the screening, the, uh, the temperature checks, and things like that. So today's new normal of business difficulties, uh, social distancing, business continuity, employee health screening, as, uh, as I said earlier, and more, we could easily be addressed using our uh, response management software. So as you can see, we have multiple different methods of um, you know, exposure tracing. There's a drop the pin on where people have found to have um, um, gone down with the, the COVID or become a positive case. Um, but you know, what's, what's, uh, what's really important is that we have to be you know, as, as proactive as possible. And these tools are allowing us to do that. So, you know, looking at the answers we had on the first poll when it comes to, um, you know, what sort of difficulties are we facing the most in terms of uh, engagement or, or something like that, you know, the top answer was culture. And um, as if by magic, Jessica actually has on the next slide um, all about safety culture. So I'm gonna hand over to Jessica to go through uh, the different sort of levels of 
of safety culture and and how things are are driven in the in in this new uh, in this new norm and in in, a, in our current industry. So Jessica. Yeah, so thanks, Bill. So as far as the safety culture, you know, it's important that we have our systems, we have our structures, procedures in place, um, and tools, which we'll even talk a little bit more about. Um, and, you know, Phil just cascading or showing, um, it doesn't matter if it's, it's paper, paper, technology, otherwise what you're using it. Um, but if you can make it more lean and efficient, then that's, that's what's going to actually help, I think, elevate your, your leadership culture and make it more feasible for you to actually drive those uh, processes and systems home. So going back to the tracing um, and looking at from a COVID perspective and even beyond that, doesn't matter if, you know, in terms of safety culture, you have to start with those leadership-driven principles. Um, the structure, the system, the procedures have to be in place. But until you have leadership really supporting those and driving that home through your culture and, and making sure that it's an important item, um, and that's when we can start to influence people. So look at uh, behaviors, values, beliefs, and we'll actually talk about a couple of case examples where we'll show capability to do that um, through diff some different tools. And so uh, with that, we'll get into more of a little bit of the culture piece, starting with Phil talking about the Heinrich Pyramid. Uh, so Phil? Thanks, Jessica. Yeah, so obviously in safety, we have uh, you know, lots of pyramids, triangles, and things, you know, inverted, or uh, they seem to represent a lot of logical um, reasons and, and, uh, and things that are going on in terms of what we can see, and, and that's um, that's where we brings us to this 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 slide here, uh, the tip of the iceberg. So, you know, some are calling it the safety iceberg or or other things like this, but it, it's really the culture iceberg, and it seems to be a problem for a lot of people on this call. And the the idea of the culture iceberg came about way back in 1976. You know, when ABBA was number one in the charts with Dancing Queen. So, uh, uh, the iceberg concept of safety performance is not measured in a manner similar to looking at the visible portion of the iceberg. It is actually beneath the surface where the real learning lies. So, you know, I think the only part that's visible is about 10%, I think, of the workplace safety issues are actually obvious, while around 90% of the safety problems lurk below the waterline due to a cultural lack of awareness. So. Um, there is also a similar concept for, for costs, poor quality, accounting, and, and this sort of thing. But, you know, the, um, uh, the safety culture of an organization is the product of individual and group values, attitudes, perceptions, competencies, and patterns of behavior that determine the commitment to and the style of proficiency of an organization's health and safety management. So most of the behavior is driven by cultural expectations. And of course, culture is, is a very t intangible and difficult thing to understand. So we all talk about how important safety culture is, but how do you manage it? And how do you influence it as a leader? And then if you're a regulator, how can you find out what's really going on and going past the tip of the iceberg? Um, organizations with a positive safety culture are characterized by communications founded on mutual trust, by shared perceptions of the importance of safety, and by confidence in the efficiency of preventive measures. So that sort of gives us that transition into uh, establishing a, a world-class operational culture. And I'm going to hand it over to Jessica to, to go through that slide. So uh, Jessica, over to you. Thanks, Phil. So as Phil just mentioned, and he, he outlined a little bit in terms of how do you get to world-class operational culture, and if you look at um, or you go out to the, a floor level in a manufacturing environment, for example, you can kind of feel what that, that aura is, so to speak, from a safety culture aspect. And I'll never forget, um, you know, one of the first questions that I had in an interview, which I thought was a great one, was how do you when you when you see things visually, how can you tell if the safety performance is is good or bad? And a lot of what um, you know and how I replied is looking at housekeeping. 
So um, that was kind of your step one, right, to get that seal out on the floor. And that gets into the first initial uh, foundation of making sure that we have policies, procedures, we're meeting compliance. Um, it does take some sustainability with leadership, uh, employee involvement, and making sure that that's translating further. And how do we get beyond that? So that's where you have to start looking at engaging employees. And so that means that you're involving them through teams, you're working cross-functionally, um, you've started the, the communication. Um, so as Phil already mentioned uh, a little bit in terms of that transcendence piece and making sure that um, we're empowering employees, making sure that we're giving them the tools to which they can communicate with. And then, of course, you always have to reward the team. Uh, it, you know, I, I think... Uh, one of the most challenging things or some things that we forget in organizations is that, uh, you know, the power of recognizing others and peer-to-peer -peer recognition um, really goes a long way and goes a lot further than I think even from a, a monetary perspective. And there's a few different case studies about that, um, but uh, we won't talk about those today. Maybe that's for a future webinar, but, um, you know, uh, again, all of these things from a transcendence piece, uh, looking at first establishing the structure, and then you really can start to influence those values and beliefs. And Phil's actually going to take us through an example here on um, a scenario with an unsafe act. So, Phil? Thanks, Jessica. Yeah, so in my, uh, in my previous role, we tried to encourage what we called snapshot patrolling. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not a witch hunt. We're not after catching people catching people out or catching people with their, with their hands and, you know, in the cookie jar or anything like that, you know. Um, the idea of the snapshot patrolling is really to, um, is when you're doing your shop floor engagement or doing your shop floor walk or gemba walk or something like that, you know, is an early part of, um, of a stage of continuous improvement in terms of safety. So you need to get your working environment in a good, in a good manner. So you've got to start building the leadership team to start having that confidence of going out there and then having that perception of what, what does good look like and what does safe look like. So snapshot patrolling, an exhibition of them will help make tangible improvements of the identified anomaly and horizontal expansion of the countermeasures. So back in the day when I used to participate in what we used to call the tier one meetings, so the supervisor would then you know, have a, a whiteboard or a presentation board with some metrics and KPIs, and uh, and there always used to be a little um, a little binder, magnetic binder folder with some of these photos on of befores and afters of things that were found, you know, before when they were risky and hazardous, you know, obvious things. Maybe it was even someone up a ladder, for example, you know, or even a fork truck um, in the wrong space. But uh, these things were discussed at these meetings and then shared. Um, you know, to get visual improvement. And then the operators started getting more involved and they could see the improvements happening on the shop floor. So they started to believe and they started to think, okay, okay, so, okay, we'll give, it, we'll give, the, um, we'll give the management an opportunity to, you know, to you know, prove that their, their heart's really going to be in the right place and, you know, it's not going to be another one of those, you know, those management-driven things and the employees are not involved. So um, I think in terms of, what uh, what a good tool is and uh, and I used to train this for a lot of people um, in in my previous company and they are the three don'ts so as you can see on the slide here on the bottom right hand side there's the three don'ts so I always used to recommend that before you know before every leader left their office or something like that there was a, there was a little plaque or sticker above the door or something like that that they could actually see this before they used to walk out on the shop floor every day. And those three don'ts would be not to, uh, or don't overlook unsafe facts. So if you see something going wrong, or you see some, see some people running down the steps or, or uh, horseplay or something like that, then you don't overlook it. You, 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 know, you challenge it, you fix it, you ask why, you know. Um, the next don't is don't compromise on excuses. So when it comes to safety, people always say, oh, I was doing this in the good of production or the good of quality or something like that, or, or this is the way it's always done, or, um, or this is the only way I can do it, or something like that. We, can't, we, can't, we have to fix it. We have to understand where us as a leadership team could have potentially gone wrong. Is it a training problem? Do we not, are we not giving the people the right tools um, and PPE or et cetera, et cetera? And, uh, and of course, don't ignore 
unsafe conditions. So we can't walk past uh, a, a puddle on the floor where the roof has been leaking. We can't just walk past it. We can't ignore it. We have to do something. We've, we either fix the roof or we put a, a, um, some awareness label signage or something in the area and we get someone to clean it up. You know, uh, I think the most important factor affecting the culture is the commitment to health and safety from the top of an organization. And this commitment may be shown in many different ways. And it needs to have a formal aspect in terms of an organizational structure. So job descriptions and a health and safety policy, but it also needs to be apparent during crisis or other stressful times. For example, the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we have seen a lot of EHS leaders really engage with the top, top management. And now some are actually, um, some are more involved and in even uh, promoted to that different hierarchy now. Um, but uh, the health and safety procedures may be circumvented or simply forgotten when production or other performance targets are threatened. So as another example here, uh, I actually took this photo in uh, one of our old facilities, but you can see that the, uh, the actual machine wasn't put in with the person, but the way the operator can operate the machine uh, safety in, in mind. There's actually no safe way to stand to thread the machine up. Um, so, you know, we obviously had to fix this, and this was actually a new machine. So he, there's, lots of, there's lots of rooms for improvement, or it's the biggest room in the world, like I heard once, the room for improvement. So structural reorganization or changes in market conditions will produce feelings of uncertainty uh, amongst the workforce, which uh, in turn will affect the health and safety culture. But poor levels of supervision, health and safety information and training are very significant factors in reducing health and safety awareness and therefore the culture. So finally, the degree of consultation and involvement with the workforce in health and safety matters is crucial for a positive health and safety culture. Most of these factors may be summed up as human factors. So that sort of transitions us to, uh, to challenges of engagement where there is a concern amongst uh, some health and safety professionals that many health and safety cultures are developed and driven by senior managers with very little input from the workforce. Uh, others argue that this arrangement is sensible because the legal duties are placed on the employer, but really a positive health and safety culture needs involvement of the whole workforce, the entire business, the entire company, um, just as a successful quality system does. We need to have everyone's input. At the end of the day, the operators or the associates, they're down on the floor 24-7. You know, we, we have the comfortable offices, and when something goes wrong, we always place the blame. We don't generally try and find the root cause and try and help. So there needs to be a joint commitment in terms of attitudes and values, and the workforce must believe that the safety measures put in place will be effective and followed even when financial and performance targets may be affected. So there lies the challenge. So in terms of engagement, um, engaging frontline industrial workers takes more than having them fill out a survey about how they feel once a year. You know, um, I mean, in my history or in my previous role, it was always very difficult to... Um, to get somebody to engage with another, another employee. There was always some them and us type of uh, scenario. Um, you know, the engagement has to be every day. You know, the engagement has to be regular. Um, the employee turnover rates are high. You know, in the industry, you know, turnover rates are high. Uh, and we all know it's going to take more, you know, just a, than a survey or a few questions or an audit once a year to reduce accidents in manufacturing and improve the safety culture. So engaging frontline industrial workers is about hearing their input and taking action based on that input and then transparently resolving the issues workers care about the most. So, you know, for an example, so many years ago, uh, we had an operator that always complained about the same thing. And then he just gave up reporting altogether, you know, and then ultimately somebody else reported it, whether it was a manager or somebody else. Uh, and then it was fixed, but of course, the, um, the previous guy said, I've been reporting this for years and years and years. So you hear stories like this, um, but you have to have a method of the reporting, a method of capturing the unsafe act or the unsafe condition and, and things like that. And we'll go into that in a, in a, in a little bit long, uh, a little bit further down the, um, down the slideshow. So 
Meaningful engagement requires workers to be heard and management to resolve and respond. And data gathered and stored in a digital platform, the platform unlocks reporting that details the level and impact of the engagement to build a proactive safety culture. And the way to teach people is a really great method of engagement. And I'm going to hand over to Jessica, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about that. Jessica? Thanks, Bill. So, yeah, as we already talked about the, the behavior-based or the transcending of culture, and, and Bill just talked about employee engagement, so how do we do that? Um, I think that's always the biggest question. How do you find means to engage employees um, and then furthermore work to empower them? So one of the tools to, to help do that, um, and this is a world-class manufacturing tool, is the way to teach people, which has a very fun acronym of TWTTP. You can try to say that multiple times. But it really is about um, getting operators involved, checking the knowledge and the competency, making sure that uh, we're understanding true root cause of human error, if there is one, and um, working so that we can take that and actually do a read across. And, and what I mean by read across, we can spread it across other places within the, the facility and organization. Um, and I think that goes into an even further uh, development of a safety culture is when you can start looking outside of your own four, four walls within a, a plant. Um, so hopefully that frequency goes down over time in terms of your incidents, the more you focus on these types of things. Um, so not expecting everybody to, to read this, but this is just our template, um, focusing on, on the way to teach people. Um, and I want to use this example because I thought this was a, a really good uh, case scenario where we applied this. And what this was, as you can see, it's a mess, but we, uh, we had an operator that uh, was taking some racks in and out of a truck. And uh, when they had done that, they hit the top of a sprinkler head. So we went out, we applied the, the tool for the TWTTP and asking, understanding the skills of the operator and their knowledge and getting down to the, the human piece of it. And then talking to the operator, and uh, you know this would be a part of your normal incident investigation, but coming to find that we were actually, it wasn't a human error really at all, but there was an adjustment they had been trained um, to lower these racks up and down as they went in and off the dock. And I asked, why, why is that? Um, and come to find out that um, it was because there, that some of the trucks actually didn't come up full level to the, the dock plates. And you wouldn't normally see this because uh, typically you're, you're, you know, I think it's like maybe one out of 100 will not um, fit perfectly or align with the dock level piece. So... Um, it was it was really interesting to get that insight from the operator, but when asking them in terms of improving the processes, seeing their knowledge and skill, um, they knew this like the back of their hand and they could speak to it very well, but they were adjusting to the system, right? Um, so to me, that's a great uh, example of engaging the operators, or, but also asking them, you know, what kind of adjustments have you, have you had to make in order to keep the, the safety and the perspective of, of getting the job done, right, and how that aligns. Um, but when we start to look at these incidents from a data perspective, we can really say um, that this was a, it was a behavioral thing that was caused due to a systemic error, right? Um, so we've actually captured that in our incident management and this is uh, really helpful because it helps you to understand whether something is a behavioral based or if it's something from an engineering controlled or a management system piece that we needed to look at. Um, you know, this is a little bit of that combination, but at the end of the day, uh, we were really focusing on the behavior to say, well, hey guys, if you see something, I know you know how to, to use this very well and you're very familiar with the systems, but, um, you know, if you see something that's not working so well from a, a safety perspective, speak up and, and say it. So um, it's really taking that shop floor management and then translating it back up into a metrics capability where you can make the connection with your management team and focus on your highest level of strategy. And, you know, we might actually be seeing a little bit more of a challenge of this today. Uh, we have a lot of people which are working from home and we're having to get creative on 
engaging employees from home. Um, but Phil's going to talk about a fun experience where, um, you know, trying to get creative within his company at Process Map on engaging employees. Uh, so, Phil? Yeah, thanks, Jessica. Yeah, this, uh, this slide always makes me happy and always makes me smile, you know. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's a real, um, you know, we're always missing something where we're not in the office anymore or we're not engaging, you know, hands-on, if you like, with, um, with our with our colleagues and peers and, and everybody, you know, it's it's actually quite difficult to get hold of people, you know, via Zoom or uh, WebEx and, and things because everybody wants a piece of everybody at the moment. So um, I'm sure everyone can empathise with that. So what I wanted to what I wanted to, to share with you is a uh, you know, the personal experience from ProcessMap, you know, a fantastic company, and you know, so we're obviously we're all participating WebEx, Zoom, or Teams webinars and conference calls. But it, it was back in July, I think it was July the 30th, and ProcessMap launched a uh, what they call a virtual dinner, and it was a thank you to our families for working at home. And that day was like a family recognition day. Uh, you know, it was really great, um, a great for a company to keep everyone engaged, and it gave everyone a bit of a, um, you know, pick-me-up, and uh, everyone was motivated after that to, you know, to see everyone and their families and, uh, you know, and uh, as well as the, as the free food, of course. But uh, during the time of quarantine and working remotely, you know, in terms of how, you know, digital is, uh, is probably consuming more of our lives uh, in, in recent months, and we've had to adapt a lot. But it's, it's sometimes it's the little things, uh, the little things that, um, you know, that we, we don't realize until until you have uh, sort of like a, uh, a webinar or, um, or one of these virtual dinners um, that you realize, um, you know, it was, really, it was really great to see everybody and it keeps people engaged and working from home and, uh, you know, it's a struggle for, for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that Jessica's got, you know, a few home improvements uh, in terms of tools and things to share. So I'll, I'll hand over to Jessica for this one. Thanks, Phil. So, yeah, this is one thing that um, I actually had quite a few employees reaching out to me, and I'd be on conference calls. And when COVID first hit, we started to to send our corporate office to work from home. Um, I had a lot of people that were saying their their necks were hurting, they were getting strains, and otherwise. Um, so we actually communicated this in terms of ergonomics and and at uh, at home and in the workplace, and to remind them that you know, conducting stretching and to assess the ergonomics of the stations that they're now having to make shift for, for their at-home life uh, in terms of work. Um, and actually, I went through a stretching activity on a conference call uh, at one point just to show an employee how to do it. So, um, you know, you see a lot of these different challenges even today with everything going on um, and getting creative to engage employees. But I think you can get um, creative even more so and find different um, tools and things to, to get employees to look at safety in the home. And Phil's actually got a, a, a good example of this. Uh, there's a home app. There's an app for that. So Phil, you want to cover the, the app? Thanks, Jessica. Yeah, there's always an app for something, right? So, um, yeah, so, I mean, safety culture continues at home. And when the COVID-19 pandemic started, you know, a lot of organizations were scrambling around to understand the risks and to try and develop comprehensive prevention strategies. So, and today, most organizations have, in fact, implemented safeguards at every level of their hierarchy of controls. And we do hear this on our, our sort of weekly um, roundtables as well uh, through Process Map. But what has really helped uh, in terms of digital technology and working from home is this uh, the working from home app and for a majority of indi individuals who are working from home for the first time you know getting the correct home office set up uh, presents does present a challenging problem you know I mean how many uh, sort of uh, video calls have you done with a lot of people and they're pretty much you know vertical uh, you know with a with a pillow under their head and they've got the laptop um, uh, you know just laying on the bed or something like that you know so the, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges um, in terms of getting the home office set up, and the app is designed 
to help employees to assess risks in their homes or even satellite offices. So if you, even if you have people traveling on behalf of work, like salespeople, et cetera, um, you know, they would probably need to ensure that they still have that good um, you know, display and screen equipment. Um, they're, they're, they're aware of risks, trip hazards, and things like that. So you know, during these times, it's important to ensure that our people at home do actually know that we still care and we are, we are trying to look out for them so this app is, is, of course, available, and it was part of our COVID suite uh, of apps that we, um, that we shared with a lot of our customers. Um, but there has been some significant improvements with some of the tidiness and some of the, I guess, 5S uh, of some of the home offices, certainly my own. So everything now is you know, pretty much all in order. Everything um, I need on a regular basis is within easy reach and uh, you know, in, in that golden zone, if you like. And... Um, you know, it optimizes productivity of the uh, of the employees as well. So it's a little bit of safety at home that you could always take away. So I'm going to hand over to Jessica now for the next part where we're transitioning, you know, more around this sort of ISO 45001 concepts. So Jessica, over to you. Thanks, Phil. So we've talked a little bit in terms of culture. We've talked about some tools. Um, now we're going to focus a little bit more on the structure and how we actually make this a part of our management system and integrate it. So if you look at uh, ISO 45001, um, I've you know, had a little bit of experience in terms of the ISO 45001. I know it's a newer management system, which everybody may not be as familiar with, but um, I think if you've got a good foundation on safety culture and, and you have some of that structure, systems, policies, process developed and really taking it to the next uh, elevation. Um, engagement of employees and empowering employees really becomes a focus with this and it's actually a requirement within the management system. Um, so wanted to take you through an example of what maybe an engagement uh, tool may look like and, and looking at this from a case study perspective. Um, and this actually stemmed from going out and looking at unsafe acts, unsafe conditions. An employee uh, reported it, which is an engagement piece, um, but then taking it to the next level to say, well, how can we empower the employees to fix it? Um, and realizing, okay, if it's an oil leak, yeah, you can clean up the oil, that's great, but what can we do long-term to sustain it and why did the, the oil leak actually occur? So uh, the maintenance team, operations, safety, everyone out to the floor and, and started to do a little bit digger, uh, a little bit deeper dig dive on uh, in terms of what's the, the cause of the oil leak. And so when they looked at this particular piece of equipment and actually be, being a cylinder, which cylinders can tend to uh, can wear out sooner than other pieces of equipment if they're not fully maintained in, in some ways. So um, the team went into this, they provided the feedback, and then what um, we actually had from a participation aspect with maintenance operations and, and overall, uh, maintenance provided insight on, on fixing some of the seals and how those may wear out sooner than others. And then we actually had operations tracking this as a part of what we would call an AMDON. And it's just a very uh, clear indicator whether there's oil on the floor or there's not. And you can tag it red or green or you can colored in red or green. Um, so we really had this uh, engagement of all the employees, but we empowered them to actually make these changes and provide that feedback. Um, so when you start to look at how that plays into your management system and looking at your framework to support your objectives and targets, um, and when you look at the strategy, um, we call this a PDCA, right? So um, in, in that past case example, uh, you had an engaged workforce, they're looking at uh, solutions, they're putting things into action, they're checking to make sure that it's actually working, and then they're seeing what they can do for read across or where they can translate that across the rest of the shop floor. So if you look at that, we really followed all aspects of the PDCA. And when you look at aligning that to your management system, you're building it into the structure, the systems, the procedures, and that's really driving that engagement and values and beliefs into your overall system. 
So um, it, it does take a review from all aspects of the of the 45,001, but it really does support in helping that uh, culture transition from a reactive, which is just simply, uh, you know, cleaning up the oil on the floor to being proactive to say, well, what else can we look at across other pieces of equipment and what else can I look at in my area to prevent this unsafe condition? So with that, we'll talk a little bit about that transition from reactive to proactive and how that actually grows your safety culture. Um, and we've talked a little bit about how that looks at the beginning from a foundation aspect, but I, I use this because I think it's a good representation and it's actually a modification to the Bradley curve, talking about just rather than meeting the, the legal basic requirements and building the policy and process, but how do we make safety as uh, integrated into our business practices. So like in that case example, making sure that we were checking safety throughout our maintenance systems, throughout how we were designing, providing the feedback, and ensuring that safety is systemic through our organization. Uh, and now Phil's going to talk a little bit about uh, this and, and a kind of a fun case example. Um, so Phil? Thanks, Jessica. Uh, so uh, Jessica mentioned growing a safety culture going from yeah, reactive to proactive, it takes time, effort and involvement. It's, not a, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. So, I mean, looking at the example here, it's one of my personal favorites, and I know it's uh, my good friend Sandeep's favorite as well. Um, you know, going from reactive to proactive in terms of risk elimination, just for an example of crossing a railroad track. So it's, uh, it's not safe for a pedestrian either way, as there will be, you know, cars, cars crossing in the first picture, of course, but reactive, it's a simple warning method, signage, flashing lights. It just puts a form of awareness. And if you don't really understand what they mean, um, you know, it still poses the same risk, even if you don't have them there. You know, so in terms of the preventive, which is the middle picture there, as well as the signage and the flashing lights, there is an added engineering control, which is the crossing gate or the barrier, um, which does add some improvement, but it's not foolproof. There's no pokey solution at this point. But there is still a risk and we must always rely on training and behavior uh, for this perspective. And in terms of proactive, the pedestrian is completely segregated from the hazard by the bridge or the elevated method, thus eliminating the risk and ensuring that there's a sustainable method uh, of safe crossing in this instance. So, I mean, that's in terms of uh, the theory, that's the theory, um, but uh, let's go to more of a technical view with Jessica on the next slide. So yeah, we've already seen a couple of these where we talked about the Heinrich Pyramid and what we need to do in order to prevent incidents from occurring. So putting that structure into place, uh, influencing those beha behaviors, values, and beliefs, there's a couple of different ways to do this. Um, but more importantly, I think you need to focus and emphasize the fact that um, in order for this to actually be successful, uh, we have to create a what I call a compelling uh, score scorecard and uh, that's making sure that employees at the shop level as well as the management level can see in terms of what is going on and so um, it, it also helps because as we talk about reporting unsafe acts unsafe conditions and fixing those we want to see results to that right and that's at the end of the day what that Heinrich pyramid we're trying to get that ratio down so um, in terms of incidents but increasing the number of unsafe acts and unsafe conditions. And so one of the ways that we've done that um, internally within our organization, you know, we started this program where we're developing, um, you know, recognition programs, we had competitions, et cetera, uh, but getting employees to look at unsafe acts and unsafe conditions um, and report those. And so initially we started with just paper formats of these cards, which we distribute on the floor, and then employees would elevate it. Um, we've recently transitioned, I would say in the past couple years, to uh, going from uh, paper to actually a digital format. Uh, and this is showing a good example of oil on the floor here for an unsafe condition. And I will tell you that my supervisors love this because uh, they can actually um, download the app on their phone. They've done it on their personal phones. Um, and you know, of course, you have to use it safely out on the floor but they'll actually take pictures, they can communicate it right away. So we've actually leaned out and helped create 
a culture-based um, application or a culture-based tool and made it move a lot quicker and more efficient. And then, like I said, translating it back up into both shop floor level and management level to review from a metrics aspect. So with that, uh, Phil is going to talk a little bit about hazard elimination for engagement and sustainability. So, Phil? Thanks, Jessica. Yeah, so we, we've gone we've gone from paper to digital, and um, you know, in terms of safety dialogues or the engagement with the people on the shop floor, of course, there are there is a method and there is a madness to it. So, you know, a behavioural safety dialogue is exactly how it should be. It should be a discussion. It shouldn't be you know do this or do that. You know, and the target of that dialogue is really to suppress any unsafe acts or in terms of behaviour or any um, anything long-term and identify any unsafe conditions that perhaps we didn't pick up in risk assessment. And I'm sure the employees will, you know, or the associates are more than happy to tell you when something needs fixing. So in terms of how, you know, we engage, you know, a good method of conducting this, and I would, you know, sincerely recommend a, um, a safety walk or a safety behavioral audit, um, you know, where you prepare an address to uh, define where and when and who you're going to um, check and then observe from distance. So you look away for, you know, from distance for a little bit just to see if, um, you know, if there's anything untoward. And then you obviously you just approach and introduce yourself, confirm the visit, and then people get back to work and then you move close, um, you know, observe the hands of the equipment, the procedures and the tools and the 5S. And then you know, once you've seen enough, after 15 minutes or so, stop the work and engage in the dialogue and always open up with, you know, some positive behavior, some positive points, you know. Good job, John, you were wearing your PPE today and uh, I see you weren't rushing around. You know, then you speak about unsafe acts and conditions and then make a report and give the feedback to the employees a follow-up. You know, and what's, in, what's important is that um, sometimes you have to conduct the these audits in pairs, you know, including the manager, so somebody who actually is aware of what should be going on, we review the risks and define the action plans together and specify the standards of expectation. You know, what you don't want to use is have, um, you know, misused the safety management or this opportunity by not following up or you're just doing, uh, you know, you're not focusing on behavior or you've got little interest from higher management or some sort of quota uh, for required numbers of observations, because in, in theory you you see what you see. Um, misuse, another one, is no communication to employees or no feedback. A lack of discussion, perhaps, between management levels. So regardless of what you spoke about, nothing gets changed. Um, you know, like we said before, the employees have got to see change to start believing. Uh, and of course, we have to have that follow-up and to correct the problems to change the behaviour. Um, and as that, we sort of flow into the PDCA cycle where we want to have some sort of sustainability um, and sustain the expectations. So, you know, following the risk assessment and the training and the continuous progress, we need to do the audit. We then have to react. We then have to communicate. And then we follow up and then raise the standards. So, you know, just like the PDCA flow um, shows then. And as described in the previous slides, you know, the behavioral safety dialogue is that critical discussion for employees to share their experience and for the supervisors to react and communicate and listen uh, to avoid any conflict or blame by creating some sort of understanding and reflection. So there are, there are six points or six recommendations to a, a successful uh, unsafe fact discussion. So there's always a lot of trouble with people, how they react you know, um, normally you would put the individual at ease and then, you know, talk about what you've just seen. You would always depersonalize the feedback by just talking about the act and not the individual. Um, you would express how you feel when you saw it. And then, as it's not the same as an opinion, it's less likely to create a debate because it's how you feel. And then ask the person to consider what could be the worst outcome of the unsafe act, you know, and that involves the person to get their them to consider the, uh, the behavior without any confrontation and then establish the potential severity and then, um, you know, in most cases negate any discussion about the probability of the event. Um, but ask the person how to task or how the task could be performed safely and 
you know, what improvement ideas they can suggest and, and go from there. And of course you have to thank them for their time and for making safety the winner. And that sort of takes us to our, you know, our final presentation slide. Um, you know, so in, in my experience, generally people don't react well to negative feedback. And, you know, there's, there's, there has to be an engaging method to ensure that people can have a positive experience when it comes to reinforcement and feedback. Um, ownership and personal accountability is the key to a sustainable safety culture, and safety has to be a, a habit. So uh, attitudes and beliefs, behaviors, practices, individual coaching, uh, but people prompted to look for answers within themselves and for the belief that it's up to them or it's up to me today. So that takes us to the last slide. So I'll hand it back to Alan. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, or thank you both so much for this insightful presentation. Uh, before we start the q and I want to let everyone know about the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. Um, Survey should be appearing on your screen now, and your input is important because it will help us improve our future webcast. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. Okay, now let's get to some questions. Uh, this is to Phil and Jessica. Uh, upon shifting from reactive to pro protective, what changes do you see necessary with management in, in an organization? Um, well, I guess I, I can start off a little bit by saying, um, uh, you know, in terms of that shifting from reactive to proactive, you'll start to uh, see a little bit of a morale boost. Um, you will also see employees becoming more outspoken about things. Um, they'll ask actually start volunteering uh, and you actually see the leadership start to um, react a little bit differently so um, and and start to shift I guess looking asking deeper questions I, I would say uh, a little bit more technical based from a safety perspective how about you Phil that's a great it's a great question you know and I mean uh, back in my previous role when you know we had to have a a starting point and that starting point was reactive and you know as I said before it's a, it's a marathon and not a sprint so you know we've, we've been speaking about the involvement of people and uh, you know management management leading the change but it's a partnership really and what what um, what changes I see necessary with management is that they have to they have to maybe drop some of the defensive um, you know when they say oh I'm not going to go on the shop floor or, or even some some uh, employees could assume that some of the leadership don't even know where the shop floor is, you know, and they they need to visit the shop floor at least once a day and uh, and engage with the people and to have that discussion. And throughout the course, I know it's very difficult at the start, but those changes have to be have to be brought in to have, have that successful relationship and credibility of the management that they actually care. Um, you know, it's it's a very um, you know, a uh, very old-fashioned way of, of management and uh, in terms of safety, you know, we are really trying to encourage everybody that, um, you know, everybody's role should have a safety uh, goal in it in some way. And these things have to be achievable for those people. So they keep their areas clean, the management have to do a behavioral safety audit, or they have to do a shop floor visit, you know, on a regular basis. So they actually have safety in their um, in their calendar or in their diary on a on a on a daily basis. So that's they're the sort of changes that are necessary, I believe. So um, I hope that answers the uh, the question. Uh, yes, I think we have time for one more question, and this is for Jessica. When utilizing uh, digital applications for safety, what do you find to be the most challenging? Well, for me, it's, uh, you know, having to roll it out across multiple locations. I think, first of all, it's, it's definitely a paradigm shift, and it's a cultural shift. People don't like to change, right? So you have to really get them engaged and involved in, first of all, rolling out the activity, and then second of all, uh, be hands-on in terms of you know, providing direct follow-up. So, for example, um, when we rolled out mobile applications, we had um, we gave it to the plant, 
Uh, so we involved the plant managers, did lots of training, involved the H&S personnel. But then we requested that the management team then go and train directly the supervisors and the leads as well so that they could uh, know. And then, again, creating that compelling scorecard was we would actually make it very transparent as to who was actually using the tool, the frequency, and um, putting that in, as a team, right, to say, hey, here's who's actually using it, here's who's not. So it was creating that transparency uh, for us. All right, thank you, everyone. Uh, this ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Jessica Janman, Phil Welch, our sponsor, Process Map, and, of course, everyone who joined us today. Take care and be safe.